This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hash. We're bringing that Tuesday energy, that Taco Tuesday energy to your Coindesk TV viewing experience. <laughs> Let's do this darn thing. I'm Zach Seward. We have Wendy O, Jensen Assey, Will Foxley. We're here. We're the Hash. We're getting you up to speed on what's going on in the world of crypto news. All right, Wendy, you have the first story. Please take it away. I'm really hungry right now. I should have ate breakfast before this, but let's go ahead and get into this conundrum happening, okay? <sighs> U.S. judge rejects Bankman Freed's bail modification request. So there's a couple different things happening. Also, his attorney, lawyer, says agreement has been reached on use of messaging apps plus other news. Prosecutors have asked that civil fraud cases brought by the SEC and the CFTC against SBF be postponed until after the criminal case against them has concluded. So again, we have the FTX International Chapter 11 bankruptcy, I believe, and somebody please fact check all these court cases because I can't keep up. And then we have the civil fraud cases. And then I think another case brought against him. I don't know. But anyways, Legal team and prosecutors asked the court to modify SBF's bail conditions on using electronic communication, asked them to modify so he can make voice calls, FaceTime calls, Zoom, audio, video calls, and use iMessage plus WhatsApp. For WhatsApp, his cell phone must have monitoring software installed to record these messages. And just in, a judge rejected the joint request to modify his bail conditions to allow him to use these messaging apps. Jen, help me please. There's too many cases going on with this. I can't keep up. I feel like I missed like at least seven cases or counts or I don't know. (laughs) I know there are so many cases. I think the main takeaway here though, is that they're filing that the criminal case goes first because the findings in the criminal case will most likely inform what happens in all of the civil cases. So that's what they're asking the judge for. What I think is funny is the specificity of the apps that he cannot use according to the judge. So that's FaceTime, Zoom, iMessage, email, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp. I would like to note that Twitter is not included in here and neither are Twitter DMs. And I would just like to lobby that that is taken away from this man along with the blog. I will use every opportunity to say that on this show. And maybe I need to be fact-checked by Zach, but just let me say quickly before I pass it off to you, Zach, I want to point out that both sides asked for him to be allowed to use this. And I think that the prosecution is gathering evidence every time he talks, every time he writes a blog post, every time he says something that goes against what he said in the past. And so I think that's why this was a a joint filing. And we'll only have to wait until Thursday until this is brought up. So the judge said it's rejected until Thursday. So I'm sure we'll have more information then. Zach, what do you think? I thought this was America. Let this man speak. Why? Why do we need to limit the flow of information from this person? What's the issue? If he wants to be DMing with journalists, he should be DMing with journalists. If he wants to write a Substack, that's all good too. Reach and out like to you Zach said, Seward for any type of insight, SBF, please. Ways, SBF, get at me, dog. No, anyway. No, it cuts both ways, right? I mean, he can get out there and try to influence the court of public opinion, but he can also just give, like, put out the rope to hang himself, you know? So it cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't be impeded. Let him do his thing. That's all I got to say. 
I don't see why we should be stipulating how season two of the SBF saga unfolds. And if we cut off the man's logging permissions, it's just going to be worse. Anyway, that's all I got. Will remember when we had SBF on the hash? I wonder what our yeah, reaction would be. It was around this time. Show. It was. It was, now, it was, a, it was specifically to the Super Bowl. Year. It was specifically to the Super yes. Bowl. It was right after the yeah. Super Bowl, the day after. You want anyway. me to DM him and see if he wants to come on? Yeah. I mean, Control says yes. Control says do it. Yeah. So I think this the is hash was not the show. hash was not noted in the in the in the legal <laughs> filings. So yeah, unless it's specifically <laughs> prohibited, you know, I think you're good. I think you're good to go. <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. We got to bring him back on the show. I think our entire demeanor would change a little bit. We uh, gave him some softballs last time. I think we joked with him about his haircut, and this time we might not be talking about that as much. But I think to Jen's point, it is interesting that some things are available here and some things are not. His Substack has often been a point of criticism since that happened in November. His uh, interesting ways of doing accounting on Excel spreadsheets has been brought up. Uh, again, I'm still waiting for some sort of podcast. He has till October for all this sort of stuff to unravel and like for the criminal case to move forward. We'll see on Thursday what they end up hearing. I feel like they're going to allow him to have a few different platforms. I mean, he's under house arrest. He only communicates on the internet. This is an internet person. We had that, uh, I forget which publication printed this out, but we had that interview of someone going into the prison cell and talking with him about like his time down in uh, the Bahamas in prison. And he was all about the internet then. Like he had to be on the internet and he was sort of freaking out that he didn't have access to the internet. So I feel like they're going to press really hard for him to be able to get some things here. Wendy, I'll boot it back up to you. You got a smile on or maybe that's a smirk. I just went to the control chat and it's just funny. That's all. <laughs> I'm done. I don't really have anything Wendy's else to say. laughing about things that have nothing to do with what's going on here. So I don't think. Take... <laughs> all right. Let's move on to the next story. Wazer X and Binance are still fighting. So we're just carrying on with exchanges and murky water. Wazer X says that Binance's allegations are false and misleading. They also said that they are willing to seek recourse to protect their legal rights should it become necessary. You'll remember that just last week, Binance gave the Indian exchange an ultimatum saying that they needed to retract their false statements or cease to use Binance wallets. I think on February 3rd, they said they were migrating all funds from Binance wallets to another safe, secure, source. And now here we are, they're saying Binance is actually the ones with the misleading statements. Will, what do you got? I think this story is over. I don't think we need to pay attention to it anymore. This is like the final saga for us on the hash, paying attention to it, unless something crazy happens next week. And then of course, we'll cover it. But like they move the funds over. So what else can happen at this point? It's just a Twitter beef between two founders. And like, that's probably the most innocuous, boring thing that we're going to find in the space to cover because that happens all the time. A lot of people have beef with Binance. A lot of people have beef between founders in the space. That's just what happens. The fact that they got the assets off the exchange and Binance can't really squeeze them anymore from that angle really does matter for Indian crypto holders and for users of Wazi or X. I think it also sort of changes the picture from being about uh, there being like risk and contagion for Wazi or X users to maybe Binance just going after them, trying to squeeze them out of a market from a competition standpoint. So to me, this story is like, it's basically over. We can slap a label on it, say we did a good job covering it. That's my take on it. Wendy, up to you. I'm glad that they took their crypto off of Binance. The reason why is I feel like they can probably show users that the exchange is a little bit safer. Again, I'm not endorsing them. I'm not telling you to leave your cryptocurrency on any centralized exchange any way, shape, or form. 
I'm just saying, I understand that centralized crypto exchanges do have to use other exchanges, maybe for liquidity or for other reasons. And I believe it was Will, you actually taught me this, is that traditional banking, they kind of use each other's services also. But I mean, I'm glad that they took the reserves off because it does make me feel a little bit more confident. Plus too, like you don't want anybody telling you what to do with your money. And then I guess they can just let their egos continue to go at it on twitter.com because why wouldn't you do that? We're in a bear market. So Twitter's for. Yeah. Tech. Wazirek said, said that they've <laughs> made arrangements to ensure that customers' assets are stored in accordance with industry-leading standards and customers can continue to trade and deposit and withdraw. Well, I have a question based on what you said. Don't they need to tell us how they've secured the customer assets for, for this story to be over? Like, what if they're just using another exchange? I mean, maybe. And they kind of no. did say that. They said that they're using leading uh, methods for securing these things. But like at the end of the day, it's all a multi-sig. They probably have in their own wallets. So yes, that's a good question, a good follow-up question. But to me, like if you're going to have your assets on an exchange, then it's going to be under the purview and control of that exchange, no matter what. So I don't know if like it changes the risk management too much. Like what Wendy always says, get your assets under your own control, get them off an exchange, put them in your own hardware wallet. So if you're listening and you're using Wazirx, get those assets onto your own multi-sig or your own wallet, your own, own cold wallet. I don't think it matters too much here, Jen. Zach, up to you. I'm sitting this one out. We've been back and forth on this one just for so long. Like this, why? It was a good Twitter beef. Why? It's why over. Why they got Okay, so we'll much? put it to rest. Why <laughs> they got a beef like that? Anyway, there's a really good rap song by Mostaf called Beef. You should look it up. Do you guys remember that insider trading happening last year? That crypto influencer Kobe called out a Coinbase product manager for insider trading of different crypto tokens on Coinbase. Well, it has come full circle and now that product manager has agreed to plead guilty to insider trading, according to a new report from Reuters. It's a pretty big case for the crypto industry because it is the first case of insider trading of our favorite crypto coins. So that is notable. It also pitches a few different angles against each other. Here we have like Coinbase versus regular users who are frustrated by the Coinbase. Uh, we also have like this consideration about if crypto coins are in fact securities or not. That's wrapped up in this. And then lastly, we got some citizen journalism stuff in here as well, which we got to talk about. The fact that Kobe, a crypto influencer, was the first to note this by looking at when Coinbase was listing tokens and the trading patterns right before they're listed. This story really has it all. So I got to throw it up to Zach, get your take on it. Yeah, I'm all for the, the securities part. I think that's the really important part because when this happened, the SEC was like, we're charging this guy with insider trading. And by the way, we're just calling nine tokens securities. You better watch out. So the fact that these lawyers are saying, no, you can't do that. You can't just say that. Like, whatever, whatever. I, you, you identify this language as though these tokens are securities, therefore implicating my client for securities fraud. Nah, no way. So they're pushing back on that. And I think that's really probably the interesting development here. And I really want to know sort of what the subsequent proceedings around that will be. You know, those were nine tokens that were hit by those claims that the SEC put forth and could potentially put them in league with like XRP. But this is sort of, again, just like a sidebar to a complaint. And I think a lot of people, sort of the lawyers of crypto Twitter and others, took great umbrage to this, right? That within this insider trading complaint, you're asserting that these nine tokens are, you know, digital securities. That to me is the standout part of this. You know, whatever happens to, this former Coinbase employee and his brother is certainly one thing. But I think for the industry as a whole, if there's any additional clarity around those nine tokens that were flagged, and if any sort of case law can be established around what is and is not 
uh, digital asset security, I think is going to be really important. So that to me is the, the thing that stands out. But I know you want to talk about Kobe some more. So I'm going to toss it your way, Will, to get that angle on the board. What do you got? Oh, definitely. I want to get Wendy's take on this as well as a trader. So the story, I think, goes back to April of 2021, if I'm not mistaken, and I very well could be. Crypto influencer Kobe is pretty well known in the space. He's been around from like the early days of crypto, and he's a big trader. He uses his uh, Twitter account to talk about trading quite a bit. And he noticed that Coinbase, which typically lists on its blog post when it's going to announce a new token being listed on its exchange, uh, these tokens had a very odd trading pattern right before they were listed on this blog post. And so he's looking at the volumes, he's looking at how they were like pumped and dumped. And he just tweeted about it and he called out Coinbase and said, like, look at this, there's something going on here. Coinbase to, uh, I guess, to like kind of shout them out, they really went after this and were like, hey, this is not appropriate. They did an internal investigation. They found out about these two people, these two brothers who were actually, uh, one was a product manager and one had no relationship with Coinbase at the time. And they were using this information because they were on the listing team to trade the tokens beforehand. They earned quite a bit of money. Uh, they tried to flee the country, I believe, to India at the time. They were stopped at the airport and then they were arrested. And now, a little bit later, we have some more closure. At first, it seemed like they were not going to plead guilty, basically around the securities thing that you just walked us through, Zach. The fact that hey, maybe these aren't securities and you can't really allege that. But I mean, it's a pretty clear cut case, right? Like, this is a US exchange, they were listing these tokens. They were trading them beforehand. They were using insider information. The question I really do have here is like case and precedent for securities trading is pretty well known for insider information, but it's not so much for tokens. And like, is that all just going to be brought under the umbrella, this case specifically? I guess that's something that we're going to have to wait and see, but does look like that at this moment. Wendy, up to you. This is a really big story, and I'm actually going to cover it in depth on my show because I've got a lot to say. First off, shout out to Kobe for figuring this out. Second off, isn't it pretty sad that we have just your average Joes in crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin, NFTs that are able to spot these things and our public servants and people that are creating laws are not able to. So we're essentially kind of doing their job for them. So I'm a little bit protruded by that. But again, the thing that bothers me the most about this story, well, yes, insider trading is 100% wrong. Don't do it. But we have people like Nancy Pelosi that do get away with it and other politicians, which there's that. And then on top of it, too, I just don't like the fact that the SEC just comes in after somebody else done their job that's not even a public servant of the United States and then says, OK, well, we're just going to call these securities because that's what we want to do. So I feel like they literally took a dart and threw it and like, OK, these ones are going to be securities and this one isn't. And I feel like there should be some sort of recourse for these guys in court. And again, I'm not defending their behavior. I'm saying that it's 100 percent wrong. But at the same time. It's like you're punishing or you're picking. It's again, it's like running a stop sign when there's no stop sign there and getting a ticket for it. That's my only argument with it. Like, I wish that these are public servants would have actually done their job instead of waiting for other people to do their job for them. It just seems like a big mockery. And shout out to Coinbase also for, you know, going after and doing internal investigations to really get these guys, um, you know, get them in trouble and to, you know, keep fighting the good fight, I guess. Jan, I think I saw your hand. Yeah, I think this story for me highlights that like accountability and transparency that we tout so much in this industry, right? Kobe, a regular person on Twitter, was able to go and check and, and verify and look at what was happening with these assets and then alert the SEC to look into it more. I think that I don't think that that's a bad or a sad thing. The SEC has failed us over and over again. And so when I think about them, I, I don't put too much of my faith in the SEC. I think what will be interesting 
about this case is that the lawyer went in to even go as far as describe that these nine tokens that are in question here are actually utility tokens and are meant to be used on certain platforms to do different things. They're not meant to be held as an investment. And I look forward to seeing how that discussion kind of rolls out in court. And I hope that we do get some precedent. I hope that we do get some updated securities information and framework and regulation out of this. Will, I'll pass it off to you for last thoughts before we move on. Yeah, last time I got to fact check myself was actually April of 2022. So it was only nine months ago, though that feels like remember. a very, very long time ago. But we'll leave it there. Zach, to the next story. Talk about Hashgraph, HBAR, something like that. Time flies when you're having fun, folks. All right, we're going to talk about Hedera. HBAR B Pumpin', the native token of the Hedera network, is up a little bit on news that Dell is joining its governing council. Now, you might remember Hedera as uh, it's, it's, not, it's not exactly a blockchain, technically. It's a hash graph. It has technology that makes it a bit more scalable, allegedly a bit more secure. And it's governed by a bunch of really big companies, including Google Cloud and now Dell, right? So an interesting model that Hedera has undertaken. They sort of look to get these big companies in, uh, on board, running nodes, educating these companies and believers therein about how hash graph can be useful to them, right? So that's the story here. Dell's a big name, obviously, in home computing. They're becoming a member of this council, helping to dictate the future of this network. I remember last year around this time, Hedera rolled out EVM compatibility, which was a boon to getting some uh, initial sort of applications on there that had found success on other networks. And now we see uh, an additional sort of governing council member added to the roster, potentially advance Hedera even further into its tech development. So I'm going to toss this one straight to Jen for her thoughts on this Dell Hedera news. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. When you look at some of the other entities that are part of the governing council, you mentioned Google, there's IBM, LG, Boeing, Dell wants to help customer, their customers with blockchain and Web3 related ventures. And when you look at their customers, that includes like state and local governments, financial institutions, large brands like McLaren. I think this makes a lot of sense. And the piece that I really like is they're focusing on making data processing faster. And they plan to make their case studies and the information they get from like experimenting with all of this open to the public so that others can learn. I think that makes complete sense. And when you look at Dell, established in 1984, you know, one of like the OG tech companies, I think other companies like them will look to these case studies to see what they learned and maybe implement it. So I like the story. Wendy, what do you think? Um, I actually did have a moon bag of HBAR, but I believe it was on Voyager. So I'm really excited. <laughs> I think that this is a good thing. I'm excited about it. I actually used to have a Dell, so I like Dell. And I do like to see these companies continue to make partnerships with real world products. And it's not just an announcement of an announcement. Will? You know, there's no story here when we're talking about we like in our Should I just computer. say it then? Dude, you're getting Wait, a Dell. I used to have a Dell. Wendy, you're crypto, you're crypto influencer. You're going to be attacked. That's what happens. It comes to the territory. Let's, let's go back to Aesop's fables to take a look at his story. A dog with two or more owners starves to death. And I think that's what you get with these sort of stories, right? Where it has so many different brands involved with it. And then this thing goes absolutely nowhere. We've been seeing the same story with this company and many other public permissionless blockchain projects like this for years. They don't go anywhere there, okay? Just because you're slapping some big corporation's name on top of it doesn't mean anything's going to happen with it. This is just like the Gucciization of some sort of blockchain project. It's not going anywhere. We saw this with the ton of NFT projects. 
super bearish on it. Zach, I give it back to you. I mean, I will say there has been some dubious partnership news in the history of crypto. To be fair, I think the governing council thing isn't really one of those things. As it relates to like partnership news, Hedera governing council, pretty high up there in the spectrum. There's definitely far more dubious partnership news that's been out there in the world over the last few years. So I will say that, right? They're trying to get these big brands on board. They're trying to make the dream of enterprise blockchain real in whatever way, shape, or form that's going to look like in 2023 uh, and, and beyond. It is what it is. Jen, tossing it to you. I just want to say, Will, maybe it's just not going somewhere until it goes somewhere. You got to let them try, you know? Will is trying to censor people, and that's not okay. Leave Hedera alone. <laughs> yeah, leave, Will. Leave the giant corporations right. alone. Let's, let's change the gears. Speaking of giant corporations, we were talking about our interview with the SBF just not long ago, and that was pegged to last year's Super Bowl, which was dubbed the Crypto Bowl. Because if you remember, uh, everyone from Larry David to you-know-who was involved in that Super Bowl. We're going to this year's Super Bowl, where unlike last year, there's going to be no crypto representation for the ads, which some people say is the best part of the Super Bowl. So last year, there was Coinbase had an ad. FTX famously had an ad with Larry David. Crypto.com had an ad, I believe, with LeBron James. This year, nuh-uh. According to Fox Sports, which is broadcasting the show, there were a few deals that were on the one yard line, but they did not come to fruition. I don't think this is so much about Fox wanting to ban crypto as it is about crypto being down real bad. And as such, marketing budgets are not there where they were last year during high times. I'm going to toss this straight to Will, I guess, for his thoughts on crypto Super Bowl ads and why we're not going to be seeing them this year. It makes sense. I mean, it's just be kind of embarrassing. You know, I think everyone on this panel, at the very least, has had a conversation about crypto with their friends over the last six months. And they always say, are you doing okay? And I think that's what's happening here, right? Like, why does the NFL want to be with the doing okay people? They're probably going to pass and like go on to FanDuel or do like that new men's deodorant commercial. It's going to be funny either way. And they're going to make a little bit more money. And then they don't have to be associated with crypto. It doesn't seem like there's a ban on this. I think that was a correction that was made after uh, a first report came out from a few different news sources. Just seems to be like, hey, there's no money for it right now. There's no taste in the market for this. So we'll pass and we'll come back in maybe 2025 and do some more funny Larry David commercials. But I got to throw it over to Wendy. I don't even know who Larry David is. And I just kept hearing his name what? last year. I didn't know who when he was. Praise God just... and doesn't know who Larry David is. Can I'm old, but I'm not that old. Just kidding. Take I don't the know. mic away from her. <laughs> Censorship. They probably just have, didn't have enough money. I know if you want to take a Super Bowl out, ad out, it is immensely expensive. So they probably just didn't have the funds to do so. I'm glad that, the, that Fox isn't outright banning crypto ads in the future um, because I think that that would be absolutely ridiculous. I feel like America has a lot bigger issues at play with what is in our foods than a couple silly, goofy crypto ads. But really, I think it was the Coinbase ad that was the best one last year. And I was kind of shocked about that. Because we had all these other companies that this, you know, they had a lot of capital to advertise, but Coindesk really just put out this super, was it, no, it wasn't Gemini, it was Coinbase, right? It was Coinbase. It was a little bouncy yeah. image. I but just hey. thought it was super cool. Super simple, super affordable to do. Awesome. So maybe we will see some crypto ads next year. And I hope so. There's always next year. Anyway, go birds. That's it for the show today. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley, Jen Sinassi, and Wendy O. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. 
We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 